Behold our King, nothing can compare. Seated on your throne, that's where you are. We're under. We are under your throne. And we need you. We need your word. So Lord Jesus, please cause seeds to be planted and to grow in our hearts. May you be glorified, God. We love you in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Just get a different view from up here and I get to see who who my favorite people are, or all, all of you are my favorite people. I love love you all. So I was uh, surfing the internet a few days ago, and I came across a website that had a list of six things that we're not supposed to talk about at work. And of course, the two top things that we're not supposed to talk about at work are politics and faith. I was going to say faith and politics. Yes, politics and faith. And we're going to talk about both of those this morning. And we're going to see that it's basically impossible to separate faith and politics if we're going to have a righteous government. Over the past couple of days, I've um, been interviewing a lot of different people, Christians, non-Christians, Democrats, Republicans, and I've basically just been asking them, um, what it, how, how do you feel about our government these days. And almost everyone is in agreement. It doesn't matter where you're at. Almost everyone thinks we're pretty messed up on a lot of different issues. Our government and our nation are very divided within our own political parties. We have a whole bunch of different quarrels and different things that that we're going through. Even in our own church body, we don't agree with everything when it comes to politics and government. Interestingly enough, though, we're citizens of the United States of America, and we embrace the statement, United we stand. But in many ways, we're divided and not united as a nation. Militarily, we are the superpower of the world. We have a very powerful army. But what good is a powerful army if we're going to self-destruct within ourselves, in our own nation? Today in America, we're bombarded with seemingly growing secular culture that is just pushing God out of its midst. We've heard all of the different articles and the talk on the news about taking down statues of the Ten Commandments in front of a courthouse. Wanting to take in God we trust off of American funds. Take out the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. There's controversy about prayer, whether it's at work or at our schools. In our nation that praises relativism and tolerance, anything which is declared to be the truth or the way is referred to as narrow-minded, egotistic, and hate speech. 
And because there are those who don't believe in God or don't believe in the God of the Bible, anywhere where God is put forth as an authority, many in our nation want to tear it down. They don't want Him to be any part of their authority over Him. So how do we as Christians that are living in our nation respond? We're going to get there. (laughs) Do we just throw up our hands and say so much for the the United States of America and and we just give up? Yeah, the the answer is no. You you beat me to the punchline already. We don't give up. It's easy to feel um, so small in our world, though, especially like when I go down to San Francisco and I'm in a traffic jam and, and there's like a rush hour and you look around and you're like, holy cow, like, I'm like nobody. <laughs> there's so many people in our world. And then I started thinking about it. Like, God knows how many hairs I have on my head. And He knows how many hairs are on that person's head and that person and so, so on and so forth. And, and then my feeling of insignificance shifts to a realization of God's significance and His attention to every detail. God cares. And He cares about government. In fact, He's the one that established government. He put all kings, all rulers, all presidents into power. Proverbs 18, or Proverbs 8, verses 15 and 16 says, by God, it is by God that kings reign and princes rule. Isaiah 9.6 tells us that the government is upon Jesus' shoulders. Romans 13.1 and 2 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And in John 19.11, Jesus told Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. All authority in heaven and on earth is established by God. By the power of God for the purpose of God for His glory. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about government. It has a lot to say about how a righteous government should look and it has a lot to say about how we as Christians living in our nation should respond to our government. This sermon's a continuation in our Proverbs series and it's titled Practicing Wisdom in Government. And so what I want to do this morning is to go back in time. We want to go back to the beginning of creation and take a look at government in authority, and how it was established over time, and then we're going to apply Proverbs to history and what we learn. God designed government for three basic purposes. First, to carry out principles and precepts of God's law. Secondly, to protect citizens from evil actions both inside and outside of our realm. And thirdly, to promote what is good for the people. So let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God. 
God is the perfect king. He has all power. He is righteous. He is the perfect king that we are to look to. All of our power, any authority that we have is only given to us by Him. So He created all of creation in six days and when He was done, He said, Behold, it was very good. Okay? So we have the beginning of creation. God is King. Righteous King. Everything is good. There's no evil. There's no quarreling. There's no Democrats, Republicans, uh all sorts of different governments where there's quarreling or whatnot, it was good. No evil. And everything worked according to God's purpose. And Adam and Eve, and he gave, and God gave Adam and Eve authority over creation. Let's look at Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's where we see the first example of God giving authority to man. And He told them to go and subdue the earth and have dominion over everything. And everything would go well and be perfectly fine as long as Adam and Eve listened to God. But we all know that that's not what happened. Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan and they ate from the tree of life that God said don't eat from. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Sorry. Thank you. That's why we have a bunch of friends here. Um, Yes. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Um, Yeah, that's that's really reassuring for me up here. So they ate from the tree and then sin came into the world. There was wickedness now in the garden. So we get to see how does a righteous king respond to wickedness that is in front of him. Proverbs 25.5 says, Take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. So God's our example for that. He banished Adam and Eve out of the garden. And then God protected the garden by putting a flaming sword at the entrance. And we might remember that when we fast forward to now times, in Romans chapter 13, God also gives government the authority to use the sword to defend um, against unrighteousness. Romans 13.4 says, But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, speaking of the government, does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And then as we read further along in Genesis, Adam and Eve are outside of the garden now. Man multiplies and so does evil on the earth. So much so that God gets fed up and he brings about the great flood. And he wipes out the whole earth except for a remnant. 
You have Noah and his family on the ark along with animals and plants. And then after the flood, then man multiplies once again and God tells them to go out into all the earth, subdue it. And what do the people do? They all remain in the same area. And so God says, you're not listening to me and to force the people to scatter and go out into all the earth. He changes their languages. And so it causes the people to move and go out into all the earth. And so then different kingdoms and governments were created. And eventually different people groups started to wage war on one another. In this time frame then, we also see a shift in a focus on a man called Abraham. God called Abraham and He told him in Genesis chapter 12 that He was going to make him into a great nation. And God was going to be the leader of that government. It was going to be a theocracy. God led. And God was going to fight their battles for them. And God was going to tell them exactly how they are to live and how they are to govern. And then we see as we fast forward into Deuteronomy and it comes to the time of Moses that Moses recorded God's law. Everything from, from um, civil laws to how to deal with criminal behavior, God gave it to Moses to record. And interestingly enough, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 17, God says there's going to be a time when the people are going to ask for a king to rule over them. And when they do, certain things are going to happen and we're going to get to that and we're going to see what happens. But all these things were recorded. The point is that God was their leader. God was going to fight their battles for them. God was going to give them wisdom in how they were to govern and how they were to live. And if they had any questions, if they were confused and didn't know what to do, then they could go to the judges and the priests and the priests then would pray to God and God would speak to them and give them wisdom in what they should do. And eventually it came to a period of time where uh, the nation of Israel was governed by Judges. I would like to read Judges chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods. And we're going to see that word hoard over and over and over again because God is very angry with His people when they go and they submit to other authorities. He wants to make clear that He is our God. He is the one that we're supposed to go to for wisdom. He's the one that shows us what righteous government looks like. They hoard after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, notice it's the Lord raising them up, the Lord was with the judge, and He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who had afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So we see, as time goes on, just in this little caption that we've had, starting at the Garden of Eden, that there's a cycle. 
when God, when the people are listening to God, everything goes great. And then they get used to it. And then they decide to fall away from God and then things go bad and then they start to moan and groan and they say, we need your help, God. And they get back on their hands and knees and then God hears their cry and then He comes back and reestablishes and He saves them. There's always a cycle. And the book of Judges ends um, in chapter 25 with verse 21. And it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. And listen to this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Hey Brad, if you can put that picture up on the screen now. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I was eating in Panda Express in Sacramento. I love that place. And um, I was sitting there eating and I looked up at this picture and you can't see it super well. Um, but I took a picture. This is from my phone. That's why it looks horrible. Um, and I took this picture and it says, wherever you go, go with all your heart. <laughs> that's the last verse in Judges. I mean, that's what our country's embracing here. It's a, the last verse in Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then this says, wherever you go, go with all your heart. We value that in our culture by and large. I mean, that, that is a... Look within yourself and you can find whatever it is that you're looking for. It's exactly the opposite of what God's telling us that we're supposed to do. As we're seeing, history repeats itself. When we're following God with all of our hearts, we're blessed and things go well. And when we stray from God and follow our own hearts, we fall into wicked behavior. Proverbs 28.2 says, When a land transgresses, it has many rulers. But with a man of understanding and knowledge, which is from God, the stability will long continue. And so, moving from the period of Judges, the people were moaning because they didn't like what was going on, and then they eventually did what God said they were going to do. They asked for a king. And if you would like to read along, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and read verses 1 through 9. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. There were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in the ways in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done. From the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. And you shall solemnly warn them 
and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So the prophet Samuel, he's, he's growing old. And so he appoints two of his sons to be judges over the people. And they're wicked. It says that they perverted justice and they took bribes. Proverbs 29.4 says, By justice a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. And we could insert there, By justice a king builds up the land, but he who, who takes bribes tears it down. It reminds me of uh, 1 Timothy 6.10 where it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Man's heart is desperately wicked without God's influence. And when we take bribes, we're kind of like a, a fish that's going after a spinner. And we don't see that hook that's behind the spinner because of that flash. And we get hooked. A righteous ruler doesn't take bribes. doesn't matter to a righteous ruler whether... The person is poor, middle class, or rich. All he cares about is what is just and what is right. And so then all the people want to serve that kind of a ruler because we have a plurality of people. We have all sorts of different people and, and they just want to be served rightly. Proverbs 29.14 says, If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Samuel's sons didn't faithfully judge the poor. They perverted justice and then their power was taken from them. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people moan. So the people are moaning. They don't like what is going on. They don't like the wickedness of their government. So how in the world were they going to fix the situation? How did they think things were going to get better? The people were worried. They saw Samuel's, Samuel's getting old. He just appointed these two wicked sons of his. Wicked sons are going to produce more wicked sons. And we're going to be in this predicament where it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. We've got to do something different. They saw that Samuel's family had, had a breakdown. And that the breakdown of his family led to problems in the government. The breakdown of the family led to a desire for another government, which eventually led the people to appeal to the government to do what families ought to be doing themselves. I think that's the same thing we experience a lot of in our own culture in America. Aren't many of our problems that we're facing because of family breakdown. I think it's so important for us as parents to have Bible studies with our kids, be coming together here at church, be praying together so that they know who God is and His character so that they can grow up and vote correctly and, and spread God's truth. So the people saw the injustice they're experiencing and instead of looking to God and asking God for help, they looked at other nations. And they said, well, they, they have a king. 
maybe maybe that's maybe that's what will help us. We want a king and be like other nations. We want to be like pagan nations. Verse 19 again says, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. The people wanted to be like everybody else. If they would have just trusted in the Lord and prayed and sought count, God, these judges that, that, that are over us right now, they're not judging us with fairness. They're, they're perverted. There's injustice. We need your salvation, God. Would you help us? God would have responded. He would have either gotten rid of them or maybe He would have changed their hearts, but He would have helped them if they cried out to God. But the people didn't cry out to God. But they should have. They needed to seek God in His guidance. Proverbs 25, 1-2 says, It's the glory of the Lord to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. We should seek the counsel of the Lord when times are hard and He'll reveal His wisdom for each of our situations. God warned the people what would happen if they had a king like other nations. 1 Samuel 8, 10-18 says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now take note as I read this. Try to count how many times the word take, appoint, make are in here. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them in his, to his work. And he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. God's basically telling them, you want to be like other nations. What that means is you're saying you want to do things on your own. And therefore, instead of relying on me for protection, instead of relying on me for your wisdom, you're going to have to try to find strength somewhere else. And so government needs to increase. What you're saying is, is you want government to be your God. You want government to be your protection. 
Government that's righteous shrinks. Wicked expands. The government is not bad until it seeks to overrule God. We've already seen that when God is removed from the equation, righteousness is removed. And when righteousness is removed from a government, the government no longer functions how God designed government to function. Government should never replace God. Only be under God. If you would like, would you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 43. This is... um, a really powerful uh, passage in the book of Ezekiel in which God takes Ezekiel into a vision to see the temple being restored. So this is after the time of 586 B.C. The temple had been destroyed. The people of God were exiled into a bunch of different nations. Um, and so Ezekiel is being shown the temple. And uh, it's a picture of when God restores a kingdom forever and ever, but there is a powerful, powerful message that God gives us. And He's going to tell us really clearly what makes Him angry and really clear, clearly what brings destruction upon governments and inside governments and nations. Ezekiel 43, 6-9 While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of the kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold, and their doorpost beside my doorpost, with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed. So I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their whoring, in the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. If we want to have a righteous government in our nation, there's a pecking order. God's on the top. We have no clue how to govern righteously apart from the wisdom that comes from God. There's no such thing as separation of church and state that is strong. God says, this is my house where my feet walk. Your doorposts are not going to be next to my doorposts. In any nation that tries to do so is an abomination to the Lord. And they'll be consumed by God's anger. All nations are to be under God. 
not over or equal to God. If when we say there needs to be a separation of church and state, we mean God should be removed from any influence in government, then our interpretation is an abomination to God. And it will lead any country that practices such an interpretation to destruction. It's impossible to have a righteous government without implementing God's wisdom under His authority. It's impossible. I fear we're living in a nation and by and large wants to push God out of its midst. Just like the picture that we just looked at, just like what it said in the book of Judges about man's heart, there's a big group of people, large group, many, who knows how many, that are really pushing to be our own gods. We want to make up our own decision. We want, to, we want to decide whether or not I'm male or female. We want to decide whether or not we're going to abort a baby or not abort a baby. We want to define marriage. Who do we think we are? We're not God. God is God. There's a cycle, and sometimes I wonder where we're at in the cycle in the United States of America. Are we to a point of no return? As I was thinking that, as I was putting this together, and I was like, what am I talking about? A cycle is a cycle. So there's no point of no return, right? No. <laughs> but maybe we don't have to get to that part of the cycle. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're going to this part of the cycle and we can cry out to God and we can learn by looking at the past. And we can say, God, please forgive us. Please work in our nation. Work in our hearts. Give me hope because I feel hopeless. I've prayed so many different times for our government and it doesn't seem to be helping. Is it worth it? I mean, do we just give up? Is there really any point? Maybe what we should do, I heard there's a lot of converts in Iran right now. Maybe, you know, I know, I know. I know we also hear other stuff over there. But maybe, maybe things are getting better over there and this is the next nation. We're going to get nuked by Russia, right? Or something. Who knows? And so we should just try to avoid everything, stop praying for our nation because it's a lost cause and move. Tell you that's what a lot of the cops talk about when they get tired of dealing with the same thing over and over again just in Humboldt County. But then you look around and it's like, well, they got the same problem. So, <laughs> right? So what do we do? Proverbs has almost just as many verses which instruct us on how to live under government as it has verses for us in how to be a righteous government. So let's look at a few of these verses so that we can apply, so that we can go out after this church service and be thinking about, this is what God wants me to do. This is how God is going to use me to influence the world around us for His glory. And maybe it'll reach the President of the United States and His cabinet and everything else, and it'll be great. I do want to mention, though, by the way, though, I was really greatly encouraged by a couple of the things that our president said in his State of the Union street, uh, speech, especially when he was talking about abortion. 
says he wants to end late-term abortion. He wants to uphold the sanctity of life. He wants to be pro-life. And then he went even farther. Does anyone remember what he said at the very end about that? I'm trying to get one of you to say it because I just forgot. No. So, he said, because man is made in the image of God. The babies are made in God's image. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said, you know, we're, we're, I'm, gonna, I'm pro-life and I'm going for it. He went as far as to say that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Proverbs 16.13 says, Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he who loves him, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Proverbs 22.11 He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. I was listening to an R.C. Sproul sermon a few weeks ago. R.C. Sproul is, is a guy that, that I've learned a lot from. He's, he's passed away last year. He was the president of Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, RTS, Legionnaire Ministries. And in his sermon, he said that he had dinner one time with a senator that if he said the name of the senator, we would all know who it is. But he didn't mention him in the sermon. And he said, while he's having dinner with this senator, the senator relayed to him that he didn't think that it was right for government to force people to obey laws. R.C. Sproul is sitting at the table with him and he's looking at him and he says, do you, you, you realize that's one of the main purposes of government and your position that you have directly affects that very issue. And R.C. Sproul had an opportunity to talk with him some more over dinner. I don't know what they talked about. But I don't think R.C. Sproul invited himself to that dinner. I think he was probably invited to that dinner. And I think they probably wanted him at that dinner because they respected him and because he was a man of wisdom. And you and I know that his wisdom came from the Lord. You never know as you're seeking the Lord and He's giving you wisdom and He's putting you in different places of authority who you're going to be seated with at dinner and able to influence. Proverbs 22.29 says, Do you see a man skillful at his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. After I read that, I thought of Daniel. The man skillful at his work. And Daniel, the story of Daniel is just amazing. And I think that it's really powerful for us if you feel like there is no hope. Because if you think we have no hope in our nation, Daniel had all the more to think there was no hope for righteousness in his situation. He was one of the exiles after the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., and he was put in the king's courts. He was chosen along with some other guys, um, partly because it said that he was good looking, but also because he was a man of wisdom and knowledge. And so they wanted to hear from him. And they wanted to be taught by him. And this was a man of God, a man that loved the Lord. And we all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. 
even though there was a law that says don't pray to anyone else other than the king, Daniel continued to have faith in the Lord and he prayed to God and he was thrown in the lion's den and God saved him from the lion's den and eventually the pagan king declared and says, Daniel's God is God. That's a story that we all know really well. But while I was studying this sermon, I had forgotten this powerful prayer that Daniel prayed in the second chapter of the book. Let's look at it. It's amazing. It's so powerful. It says, Blessed be the name of, of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes time and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the King's matter. That prayer right there has so many parallels with all of the verses that we've just said in Proverbs. It's, it's amazing. And it is so powerful to think that God is in complete control of all kings. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He's in charge of the seasons. He can cause it to have snow in February in Fortuna whenever He wants. He is a sovereign Lord. And we need to have the faith like the, that Daniel had. In whatever situation we're going through right now, whatever our fear is, whatever our worry is, when we think there's no hope anymore, I've said the same prayer over and over again, it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. Sometimes we feel that way and then we go get a drink at Starbucks. That's what I did. Not because I was feeling that way, just because that was my routine. And while I was getting my drink at Starbucks, I saw this sitting there and I'm like, wow, look at that. Front page, USA Today, in God we trust. So I checked it out. Bible classes get a push for public schools. Really? Bible bill... Bible bills by state. Bible literacy bills have been introduced in the following states in 2019. Florida, Indiana, Missouri, North Dakota, Virginia, West Virginia. Like a history class. Old Testament, New, class, uh, New Testament. That's what they're pushing for. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, there's part of me that's thinking, well, well, what if they don't like teach it correctly? Or what if this or that? I'm thinking, this is a word of God. They're going to be reading the Word of God sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision of soul and spirit of joy and marrow. Shoot! Your prayers, our prayers, have an impact. We need not give up. We just need to seek the Lord. Proverbs 29.26 says, Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that man gets justice. Trust in the Lord always. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will do this. 
He will make your paths straight. It would be nice if the majority of people in our great nation could stand up one day and say, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, and mean it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us hope and perseverance, please. And please, God, influence our government. Or we even ask that You would save. We ask that You would save those that are over us, Lord. You have shown time and time again that we need You. And You're good and that You love us. So, Father, would, would, you, would you work in our nation? Would you bring your word out before? Would you correct and make right what we've messed up? Would you show your wisdom amongst those that are blind? Would you use us to do it? Would you give us hope and strength? To know what to say, what to pray, and how to respond with all the different things that we hear about in the news. May we be your people going out for your glory in your name. Amen. Let's have communion.